listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Have you ever walked through a swamp at night? If so, why? A swamp is defined as a forested wetland, an area of low, uncultivated ground where water collects. They are rich ecosystems for a myriad of reptile, bird, insect, and fish species. They are also, due to the sheer amount of standing water, generally a little unpleasant smelling. They can also be dangerous, as any place with enough water is pretty much guaranteed to have unstable ground. And sometimes that instability translates into deceptive patches of solid-looking ground that become wet, sucking pits the instant weight is transferred to them. On top of the treacherous terrain, the biodiversity of swamps also means that, sometimes, the creatures found in swamps are not necessarily concerned with human well-being. Whether that's the insidious harm of a tropical disease-carrying mosquito, or the more adventurous forays of a hungry alligator, the casual hiker that stumbles into a swamp may find themselves at a disadvantage if they're unfamiliar with the habitat. So, why walk through a swamp at night? What were you looking for? Was it a sense of adventure? The beautiful rhythm of frog calls? Do you even remember? This week, let's look too closely at the hobby lanterns on the moor, the fox's fire, the will-o'-the-wisp. We'll look at how this natural phenomena is interpreted in different cultures throughout the world, as well as get on a very small but important side tangent about how 18th century Europeans are the scariest beings I've come across yet. I'll also recommend a vacation destination in the post-show wrap-up. The phenomena I'm referring to is the sudden appearance of an atmospheric ghost light, or heatless flame, that occurs at night usually just in the distance to the person observing them, sometimes at ground level, and sometimes a little higher up. When approached, generally the light appears to withdraw, maintaining distance between itself and the viewer. These lights can occur in graveyards, on moors, and in grasslands, but most commonly occur in marshy wetland habitat. Will-o'-the-wisps, as they are sometimes called, can also be called ignis fatus, spook lights, hobby lanterns, lucis del tesoro, or treasure lights, luzmala, boitata, aleya, chiribati, and hitodama, just to name a few. The name can also change based on location, as often, Balls of light observed in a graveyard are referred to using the regional equivalent of the name ghost candles. And just as there are many names for these lights, they also have many cultural explanations. In Bangladesh, the lights are called aleya, which roughly translates to marsh ghost lights. In this region of the world, the lights especially affect fishermen, and, like many capricious supernatural beings, can either be helpful or harmful. The regional folklore interprets these lights as the ghosts of fishermen who died fishing, 
and it's thought that the lights can either guide fishermen away from future dangers, or lure them away from their intended bearings, making them lose their way in the swamp. In the Americas, foxfires have as many names as the countries that experience them, and the cultural feelings about the lights are... complex. In Argentina and Uruguay, the lights are called Luz Mala, or Evil Lights. They appear mostly in rural areas, and unlike in many other countries, there are reports of these lights approaching and even pursuing the viewer. Luz Mala can either appear as the more benevolent white form or the clearly malignant red form. The lights are thought to be the spirits of those who did not receive a Christian burial, and Luz Mala, when pursuing, are not deterred by firearms. Another aspect of Luz Mala that they share with a surprising number of other cultures is that the area the lights first appear over is thought to contain a hidden treasure. The treasure is usually considered to be something that belonged to the spirit in their original life, and more daring treasure seekers will actually mark the place the light first appeared over and dig there during the day. However, there is a catch. Digging in the area the Luz Mala was guarding is thought to sometimes release a deadly gas, so locals advise covering one's face when opening any treasure found under the lights, or just taking a deep breath beforehand and not breathing until you're out of the dig site. That seems to me like an awful long time though. Now I should mention that supposedly, people do occasionally find metal objects or indigenous objects in the marked spots. So I'm not saying dig under mysterious lights in the grassland to find treasure, but I'm also not not saying it. In Mexico, sometimes the lanterns are also associated with treasure, though the treasure guarded by the Luces del Tesoro can only be found with the help of children. Other times though, the lights are called brujas, and are thought to be witches taking the form of lights. And then there's Brazil. Now, Brazil's interpretation of will-o'-wisps is interesting in that it is both completely unique and terrifyingly specific. The lights are thought to be part of a greater creature, known as the Buitata, which comes from the now-extinct language of the native Tupi people of Brazil, meaning fiery serpent. According to the mythology of the area, the Buitata is a cave-dwelling anaconda that survived a great flood. Possibly the same great flood found in many mythologies throughout the world. After the flood, the serpent emerged from its cave to find the corpses of humans and animals, and, seeing a rare opportunity, went from body to body eating only its favorite morsel, the eyes. The collective light from all the eyes it has eaten has given the boy Tata its fiery gaze, but also renders it almost blind during the day. So this creature only appears at night. Despite this rather ominous sounding origin though, the boy Tata is not just about eating eyes. It is also considered to be a guardian of the forests and grasslands, and it viciously pursues those who set fire to its habitat. Legend has it that when encountering a boy Tata, the proper etiquette is to stand completely still, not breathing, with your eyes closed until it passes. Those that fail to do this, and instead flee screaming into the night, run the risk of the boy Tata interpreting this move as the guilt of a would-be forest fire starter, and being either blinded, struck mad, or just straight up killed. 
Now, look, I love Smokey the Bear as much as the next person, but if the U.S. Forest Service is ever in need of a new mascot, well, I can think of a pretty good candidate. Moving to the next region of the world, there is no natural phenomena that cannot be explained by the complex and rich folklore of Japan, and these glowing orbs are no exception. They can be found throughout Japan, and the light source can have several interpretations and names depending on location. For example, a common and very descriptive name for the lights when observed in a graveyard is Hitodama, which literally translates to human soul. If many lights are observed in an area known to have a population of foxes, though, it may be called Kitsunebi, which translates to foxfire. Kitsunebi lights are similar to the puka lights in Welsh folklore, only instead of little goblin-like fairies leading lone travelers astray across the bog, the lights belong to foxes, and what they're actually doing with the lights is up to interpretation. In some regions, the foxes do use the lights to lead travelers astray for their own amusement. In the Dewa province of the Yamagata prefecture, though, Kitsunebi are referred to as Kitsune Taimatsu, and they are thought to be the light source created by foxes to provide ambience for their marriage ceremony. And because everyone likes a good wedding, seeing them is a good omen for the future. The most storied place in Japan, though, for Kitsunebi is Kita, Tokyo. Kita is home to the Shinto god of foxes, fertility, tea, agriculture, and just general prosperity and worldly success, Inari Okami. Inari Okami is one of the principal kami of Shinto, and legend has it that every year, on the night of the last day of the year, all the foxes of the Kanto region of Japan would gather in Kita, put on uniforms, and call their ranks, and then parade to visit the palace of Inari Okami, the entire spectacle of which was lit by the presence of large numbers of kitsune-bi. Last, but certainly not least, we have Europe. Europeans have a very complex relationship with will-o'-wisps. They are associated with the spirits of the dead, often especially the unbaptized, fairies, and a variety of other supernatural beings. Oh, and also treasure. A lot of associations with treasure. Let's start with the Fae. The lights are associated with spunkies, pixies, cult pixies, puka, and sometimes just interpreted to be their own beings, such as in the case of the Will-O-Wisp. All of these creatures are generally carrying the light around to cause, or while they are causing, mischief. The Welsh puka, the Cornish pixie, and the Scottish spunky are especially fond of leading travelers into marshes at night and then, once the traveler is well and truly lost, blowing out the light and leaving the unfortunate adventurer lost in a dark swamp. Which, as we all know, is treacherous enough when you have light to see it by. Colt pixies are similar to regular Cornish pixies, but instead of human travelers, their primary interest is actually horses. These pixies take the form of a horse accompanied by ghost light, and they whinny to lure horses away from their stables and into the swamps. This one struck me in particular because it's one of the few instances in folklore of a creature that shapeshifts to trick creatures that are not human, 
I assume the Colt Pixie was supposed to be a threat to the humans owning the horses, because it's a big deal to lose your horse. But it's still striking to have a fey creature that's not targeting humans at all, but instead a specific other creature. Then there's Will-O-Wisps. I made the distinction of a Will-O-Wisp as being a separate entity, because unlike the other beings that create lost travelers, travelers that are already lost can sometimes stumble upon a Will-O-Wisp, and, following traditional fairy rules, depending on how you treat the Will-O-Wisp, it will either guide you out of the forest to safety, or further into the woods. Remember, if you're in the forest at night, always be polite. Now, let's talk treasure. Danes, Finns, Swedes, Estonians, Latvians, Lithuanians, and Irish people, depending on the region, all associate hobby lanterns with secret treasure. There are also various methods to go about collecting this treasure. In Finnish mythology, the best time to search for fairy lights, and the treasures they marked, was early autumn. It was thought that the treasure being marked was fairy gold, which was protected from being found accidentally by a glamour. Fairy fire, however, would give away the location of the treasure at night, but the only way to actually obtain the treasure was to be in possession of a seed from a mythical flowering fern. The seed, in addition to leading the bearer to treasure, would also provide an added glamour of invisibility. The only problem? Those familiar with fern biology know that ferns don't actually produce seeds. The myth specifies that this flowering fern blooms very rarely. If you couldn't find a fern seed though, you could always use a hand of glory, which is nothing at all like it sounds. Across Europe in the 18th century, there was a belief that a magical object called a hand of glory could uncover any treasure, paralyze the inhabitants of a room, and provide light that could only be seen by the bearer. How and where do you get this amazing item, though? Well, that's going to take a little explaining. You see, a hand of glory is a literal hand. The pickled, dried hand of a hanged man, preferably the sinister or left hand made to hold a candle made out of the fat from the hanged man's body. Yes, really. There are many texts from the 18th century that describe the process of making a hand of glory. There are also, in real life, actual hands of glory made in that time period that you can see on display. And also, like I said, it has to be a hand taken from a hanged man. That does not necessarily mean that they had to be guilty of anything to be hung. Now, I know creatures found in the swamp can be scary, and being lost is a horrible, uncertain feeling. But, to my knowledge, at least none of the creatures found in a swamp would hang you and take your hand to find buried treasure. That's just monstrous. That's it this week for the Lights on the Marsh. If you want to be led further astray, consider checking out the show notes. Intro and outro music are by local Marsh Goblin Scott Ethington. Uncover treasure of the musical variety at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Travel tip. If you ever want to see these lights for yourself, consider going to the Bani grasslands in India. It's a protected wildlife area for the cheetah, 
and locals have been seeing the lights, called the Chiribati, for time immemorial. It's not a guarantee you'll see the lights, of course, but the odds are in your favor. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.